Hello and welcome to the weekly Cyber Talk Africa podcast show. Our guest for this week is regarded as one of the top cybersecurity voices on LinkedIn for 2019 and 2020. Is a speaker, a blogger, and a VCSO based out in Quebec, Canada. Welcome to the show, Alex. I'm Alexandre Blanc. I'm based in Canada, in the uh, province of Quebec, and uh, I'm working in IT and security for more than 20 years. And I'm kind of more known on LinkedIn, where I share a lot of awareness about cybersecurity and where I've been named the uh, LinkedIn top voice in 2020, uh, following all the sharing of information that uh, I do on the platform uh, as well. And also, yeah, oh, I forget to say what I do. I, I, I'm actually VCSO in a company called VARS, which is the cybersecurity branch of RCGT. And I do advising and I support organization in their cybersecurity journey to achieve the best uh, security posture and best resilience in cyber. Right. So how did you get started? In... Oh, well, on my side, uh, it came with a uh, like lot of uh, people from my generation, which is basically, we did start in IT and hosting servers online since, you know, before the year 2000. And we had part of the responsibility to protect this infrastructure from uh, from attackers and criminals. So basically we were doing cybersecurity when it was not yet a full field by itself. So right. on my side, I've been, yeah. I've been always, you know, very sensitive to security side of things. So somehow I've been doing IT and security together since like at least 20 years. Right. So how does it feel to be a top voice um, around cybersecurity on social media? You know what? That's a funny story because I was not aware that top voice was something. I never heard of it before LinkedIn contacted me when I was in the final list, you know, when they, they have a list of people and they want to check if they accept to be in that uh, right. because the statistics shown the participation. And I was like, honestly, at the beginning I was thinking like, hmm, is that a scam? <laughs> so I checked the, the email sender to make sure it was the real person. And the fun fact is, um, yeah, it, it was real. And it did bring some interesting, you know, growth on my audience and followers, although it was already growing, but uh, it was really nice to get some, um, you know, reward for all the sharing and time spent on awareness on that platform. Right. So uh, before we go straight into the topic of discussion for today, I would like you to briefly share your thoughts on the Colonial Pipeline cyber attack. Oh boy, you know what? <laughs> that's that's a challenging one. Well, a lot of people have been, you know, exploring that topic. And um, what we can learn on that side is that um, sadly, it's the same story as everywhere. Uh, that it all falls back to the basics, you know, uh, security controls and overlapping security controls. What happened is that you got the threat actor that got in with the usual way and uh, which is usually, you know, unpatched services or unaware people, untrained people that have not followed the awareness training. And they got trapped into some um, some exploit in a way or another, another. And I think the global lesson that we could learn from that is that 
small or huge organization must tackle all the basics, even if it looks like old and basic, well, if you don't do it, you're going to be hit. Right. And um, yeah, and, and a fun fact, as you also, it's that the, the ransomware group that has been attacked got shut down or actually they did maybe, I think they did run away <laughs> uh, <laughs> given, yeah, given the target that they hit, it was so big. I would not think they did expect the response that it took with the US government putting a special team and special laws on the case. I, I really think they freaked out and they closed the shop after getting right. the money. Right. And yeah, another another thing that was also weird in that in that specific case is that the organization paid the ransom, got the decryptor, but the decryptor was so slow that they ended restoring the backup. Because it was faster than the the, wow. the, the crypto, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's kind of you know weird. Uh, so basically, you understand that the ransom they paid was supposedly to avoid getting the data to leak in the end, because they had the capability of restoring the data themselves. Right. From yeah, from what we saw in the mainstream media. Right. Okay. So, and you believe that some of these cyber attacks can be avoided if organizations you know go back to the basics of cyber security yes i agree you know and 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 the basics that we speak about it, it could be like technical controls but it, it's the concept of you know list privileges segregation segment segmentation of networks and um redundant uh, and overlapping security controls and when we say overlapping security controls that's something you know it, it sounds like very fancy but this is basically you have two security settings, process, whatever, that watch each other. So if you have a, I don't know, like a, a firewall that protects your, uh, with an, an intrusion detection system that protects your, your um, perimeter of servers, then you should also have an XDR, as an example, you know, on the server itself, in case the firewall is breached. Right. One other point, uh, yeah, one other point, that you can see that I've been working on some OT networks, operation technology, on some big uh, tanker boats where you have the the industrial control system on the boat that do the telemetry and monitoring of the of the mechanics and all the the, the industrial systems, and you get the IT side of things, which is the the Wi-Fi for the users and for navigation and stuff. And basically, the typical topology that you have on this boat is you have two firewalls, one in front, which is one brand. And the second one that protect the industrial system, which is another brand. So when you have a zero day vulnerability in the front one, then exploiting that vulnerability will not give you access to the second one because it's another brand. So that's another example of overlapping security control. And right. the most sensitive, yeah, the most sensitive data should have the strongest security control in place. Right. So um, the threat landscape is evolving rapidly. How do you think cybersecurity professionals like yourself can catch up with the bad guys? Well, uh, thing is, we cannot catch up with the bad guys for many reasons, and wow. it doesn't think it's yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean it's desperate, but we won't catch up with the bad guys because they are not restricted by regulation. They right. do not have money 
restriction. You know, with all the ransom and stuff, they are well financed. It's a well organized uh, groups, and actually, the you know dark web and transnational criminal organization are very like it's a pyramidal scheme where each of the actor provide a service to the other one. It will be wrong to think that it's one actor that do you know the initial access to a network and then then exploit the network no this is not how it happens the fact is that you got some groups that get the initial access and establish a foothold in the infrastructure and then they sell this access to other groups that want to you know move do the lateral move do a ransomware or extortion or whatever so it's it's a parallel economy and so we cannot catch up as security people with that but what we can do is have a proper security architecture architecture where we think and design our system in a way where we can catch and stop these attacks and at least detect them so one of the basic you know is knowing your assets having an inventory of what you have and then having visibility of your stuff i'm um, you know just this morning i was still on the call for an incident response and what you realize that all the ransomware weak thing because what we see in the news is just a few of them So right. small SMBs and stuff. There are like many, many it all the time. And when we reach to this organization, what we find it's it's a usual scenario. You have a firewall which is outdated, not maintained. So that thing, you know, with all the backdoor that has been found, it's exploited. You have machines and servers that are not patched, and that can happen on prem. That can happen in the cloud as well. Right. And the fun fact is. And you know, I'm always complaining and blaming the cloud, but when I do that, I'm actually blaming the fact that our private data is leaking. But it's leaking not because of the underlying infrastructure of the cloud, which has its own issue, but it's definitely safer than on-prem. Um, it's an issue because people run into the run into the cloud without even thinking about security and governance and protection of data. So they go because they, you know, it's easy, it's cheap and easy. And they put everything into it, but they assume that someone else is gonna is gonna save them with the security side of things. And what they don't understand is the shared responsibility model. So uh, the issue is that when the customer think the infrastructure provider is responsible of security, and the infrastructure provider drop the responsibility of the customer, then no one takes care of it. <laughs> so. In the end, we we are in the worst in a in even worse situation than it was on prem, because the cloud side of thing, if you don't do it right, all the interface, the web page, the login, it's all public. So anyone can try to be and log as yourself on the infrastructure on the main front door, which is right. like very well known public. So cloud automation is more easy than on prem automation that require more reconnaissance work. So it's it's and and so there is no you know magic into that. If right. you want to do things right, it's it's long, it's expensive. That on prem or that in the cloud. So on my side, I will continue to blame the cloud for the leaks because my own data leaked on that, and I'm I'm really frustrated because what happened as an individual, as a person, I didn't decide and accept that my data would be put on an unsafe or unproperly configured cloud stuff. And I, I have no power. You know, one, one leak was, uh, everyone knows about the credit uh, stuff um, and also uh, Nissan Finance and Bridge and some others. And my data was there, but I didn't, you know, I just bought a car with uh, with, with credit on it. And, <laughs> and, 
and the fact that they took my driver license and put that in the system in, a, in an unsafe cloud as a consumer, wow. Wow. I, I had no I had no saying into that. You know, I, I trust the, the car dealer. You know, they, they oh, you want my driver license to apply for the loan. Okay, fine. And I assume they would protect it, but they don't. So that's the issue I have with the cloud implementation. So thankfully, regulation all around the world are catching up and you start to have like some responsibilities and and consequences for letting the confidential data going out. So that's something good because it's a lever for organization to start to think about it. Right. So what are your recommended um, your recommendations uh, for organizations looking to secure themselves against cyber attacks? for an organization looking to secure themselves from cyber attacks, particularly following the trends of um, colonial pipeline attacks and um, solar wind. So it's, it's a risk assessment and a skill assessment thing first. Uh, you should see if you have the skills in-house or the skill team to protect the infrastructure or if you need a partner to help you with that. Because what we see is the threat landscape is evolving quickly and most IT staff or internal staff cannot follow up you know, with technology evolution and the threat landscape evolution. So it would be smart to do a risk assessment and have some MSSP backing you up with the best practices. So. Uh, you can actually uh, not be alone uh, designing your security architecture. And the point is that uh, you should also have someone to call when something goes wrong. Because you need visibility. You need, you know, I was speaking about the involved side of things, all the risk assessment, knowing where your data is. What you, you need to have proper governance, you know, what's critical, what's not, because we cannot bulletproof everything, and like clearly there is no bulletproof solution. So you, you must know what to protect and have your security control in place according to your risk. And that's a, a process that requires some time and, um, you know, structure and organization. So I believe that sadly, organization will need some specialists to help them. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm doing that. Obviously, right. there is already uh, enough you know, demand on the market for cybersecurity focused people to have any job they need if they do the thing right. So it's more like for the organization to find the right partner, a partner that understands their business, understands their vertical, understands their infrastructure, and find the right solution. It should not be a rip-off. You know? It should not be like you go crazy and uh, you, you use a bazooka for a, for a small little ant. Uh, it, it should be aligned with the organization needs and the threat landscape attached to it. Right. I don't know, I guess you, you are aware of the MITRE attack framework? Yes, you yes. Know, yeah, so you can see all the threat actor and which vertical they do attack. So if you are an organization and you want to know what are the threats against your organization, you can do on MITRE attack website. Look for a vertical, like what the same kind of companies as yours are attacked by, and you will know what is most likely to hit you, and then you can, you know, design your defense accordingly. And then you, you can cover and you should cover all the bases, you know, multi-factor authentication, encryption, uh, uh, 
uh, all the Nismi village uh, principles, which are the good old basics that we always speak about. Right, right. So for a lot of people like, um, you know, a lot of our listeners, they know what a cyber attack is, but many people don't understand what happens during the life cycle of a cyber attack. Can you briefly explain what happens, uh, how uh, organizations get breached, you know, how criminals demand for ransom and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to tell you the story of this morning. (laughs) Uh, Basically, you have an organization, they are all set, it's a small company, like most of them do, and they have a firewall in place, and they have their system, and it's running, but they do not update everything because they have no time, and it's not the biggest priority. But they think that they are not a target, because they are too small, because they don't have, you know, much money, they have nothing to hide. And um, the fact is that if there is something vulnerable, the attackers will try to get in. And people don't realize that when they are connected to the internet, they enter a cyber battlefield where state-sponsored actors are fighting against each other, spying against each country. And there are right. many organized groups, yeah, many, many organized groups that target a small business and individual users even to build network of, uh, how can you say that, like botnet, you know, they, they want to they wanna take control of machines and then they will sell these machines to bigger attackers. So that can be that or that. So what happens is that you have your organization and you think everything is right. But suddenly there is a vulnerability that has been released by the manufacturer of your firewall. But you, you don't watch that because you know you are busy working. In fact, is your firewall is now exposed and there is uh, someone found a hidden login password that has full remote access to it. So attackers and transnational criminal organizations have automated solutions that will scan and find this device and it will highlight and blink, you know, oh, you can get into this one. And someone will click and get into it and take over the control. So what they do, they get in and they do what you, what we call reconnaissance. So they look around, what's the type of organization, what type of data it's sending, and how much money it has. Fun part is they kind of do an audit of the target and they see if it's valuable enough to hit with a ransomware or if it's not worth it and they will just sell that as a um, slave control machine to do bigger attacks. Because what happens is that they will use infrastructure they own. When I say they own, it's like they took over by hacking into it and the owner is not aware. And they will use you and your organization if if you are not valuable enough to attack either your partner or providers by impersonating you with the other partner and customers. But most of the time, if you are big enough, and I think like, you know, a couple of millions of income a year, it's more than enough for them to make you a target because they, they know how much cash flow you have, how much financing capability you have, because they have access to all the data you have. So they will check your accounting. They will check your amount of sales. And, you know, most of organizations sell are public numbers because the results are published every year. So you can just look for what organization make. And once you know that, you know how much money you can pull from them. So the targeting will go accordingly. And the way it get, the way it happens, they get in the network, you don't see anything. They will stay long enough to know yourself more than you know yourself, at least from an IT perspective. 
and they will start to exfiltrate the data slowly. They will take it out in a cloud storage, hidden server somewhere out. That's the ransomware approach. And once they have all the data they need, they will just trigger the encryption. And one day you come back to the office, you didn't see anything coming, and you get your user calling, hey, it cannot work. And, um, and suddenly uh, you get a ransomware note and you're done because they will have been aware of your network and if your backup server is on the same network using the same credential as your, as your you know, users and admin then they will take it down as well and you have no backup left and when you hit that point it's it's complex situation if you didn't have a proper plan and see not this one plan and you didn't have an archive of your data then you might even be done with the business so that that's something very critical so I hope it's it's the an answer that can give an idea of what happened. Right. So from following you, I get I get this feeling that you are not a fan of cloud computing, uh, especially the security aspects. Why is that? Sorry, can you repeat that? You didn't get all of it. Yes, yes. I said from following you on LinkedIn uh, for the past couple of weeks, months, you know, you've posted several uh, articles and, um, you know, content on cloud computing and why you are not a fan. Do you want to shed more light as to why you feel cloud computing is not secure and will never be secure? So, it's I was saying a bit earlier, uh, it, it depends. Uh, what happens is, if you have bad practice on them, and then you are not safer than the cloud, except that you are less exposed because you are no like more drop in the the cloud, you are in the uh, single point of failure in a way. So that's that's how I see it. So um, if you go to cloud you should think and understand how the cloud business model is working and it, it has nothing to do with what was on-prem so the skilled people that were aware of perimeter security you know endpoint security they might not be aware of you know fact like role-based access control uh, data governance if you think about that like most smbs they have no idea except you top of their, of, their, of their head what folder has what but when you move in cloud you need proper data governance you need to tag your assets you need to have metadata on it so you can place proper rules and access control again on sensitive data and the work needed to have proper governance before enabling and taking it to the cloud in the way it should be is huge and most organizations they just don't what they do is they say, okay, we're going to move to the cloud. So they take, you know, Office 365 or Google on the G Suite, whatever. And they would just copy all their stuff in a drive with everybody has access to it. Like when we see, um, my, my one of my favorite is the Amazon AWS S3 buckets, which they changed, by the way, because a couple of years ago, it was opened by default. And then the organization would take it, put data in it, it was public. Now what happened is it's locked by default, but then organizations do not manage to access the data. So themselves, they go 
then they drop the restriction because they cannot um, access the data. And the thing is that, fun fact that they don't get in the cloud, it's that the public cloud, it's a shared infrastructure. So when on-prem you have a, a folder and you right-click on it and you say in security only authenticated user can access that stuff, it means that it at least needs someone to be connected with a login and a password on your organization to access the file. Well, in the cloud it's not the same. It's an authentication token and authenticated user mean any user, not your organization, any cloud user. That's one of the main security they keep as free bucket is that people set the rights to allow full access to any authenticated user. But anybody can be an authenticated user. You need a URL, you need an authentication token, which you can create for free. And then read read the bucket. <laughs> So, you see there is a, a cultural issue, training issue in that. And the fact is that the cloud marketing is advertising the solution as cheap and, cheap and secure by design. But it's not. So that's, that's my issue with it. And the second issue I have is about insider threat. So you place your data in the cloud, but technically, it's, you know, and I don't like when I say that, but this is what it is. It's someone else's computer. So when you have your data on someone else's machine, and they say they don't do that, you know, but technically, there is no way that the cloud owner or the cloud staff cannot keep your data unless you encrypt it before. But then, if you encrypt the data before putting it to the cloud, which you should do, but if you do that, you lose the functionality of the cloud, you know, indexing, convenient serverless features, uh, logging and readability, because if your data is encrypted, the cloud cannot provide the services. So the snake is eating, is eating his own tail, because if you want the cloud uh, flexibility, you may not be able to use encryption. And then the cloud people say, yeah, you can go in the cloud, it supports encryption. You have your key vault, you put your key vault in there, you yeah, sure, but if the encryption key is in the cloud as well, the insider threat in the cloud side can also use the key because they could impersonate you. That's my, my that's my worry, you know. So, from just a global like common sense perspective, say you go to cloud, but the cloud owner and provider is also your main challenger on the market because if you are a software development company and you are extremely innovative, but you go with Office 365 Cloud, so you place all your assets in a software development company system. And right. you know that term and condition, they say they will not do it, but from just take that from a common sense standpoint, does it make sense to put all the crown jewel of your intellectual property and innovation inside the machines of someone that does exactly the same work as you? I mean years before that was called industrial spying right <laughs> so, so this is so, so that's the whole thing and and for sure you have contracts and you have agreements you you sign paper you know and let's say that the cloud provider will just do what they need to do but some of them have like very invasive terms and conditions that 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 are very not restrictive toward themselves and because the cloud is extremely secure 
bullied by third party and stuff, but in the end, no one can see what's really happening behind. So that that's my issue with it. And I, I speak about that specifically when we have like very sensitive documentation, like governmental and stuff. And I was pointing that out on LinkedIn, saying, you know, uh, the Jedi stuff in the US, like the Department of Defense was being used as data in the cloud. I say, that's nonsense because you can't protect the data. Well, in the end, what happened is that they don't go in the public cloud. They have their very own uh, Azure-like, if it was Microsoft, uh, dedicated private infrastructure, which works exactly like the public one, but is private. And only cleared staff can access the physical infrastructure and maintain it. So they realize that the cloud, to be safe, need to be like a private data center. <laughs> Your property. And, and, yeah, and, and that thing is not possible in the public cloud, which is what most organizations take, like especially if you go with software service, because you know you right. have like infrastructure and service, software and service, like Salesforce is software as a service. And I spoke to many people that have been working in the cloud backend, so no, no name, no, not gonna say any name. But what's scary is that they come to me and tell me, "You are so right. If you would see the backend, it's a mess." And these people work in SIS organization and, and, and big cloud provider, being told by a big, big, one of the biggest cloud providers. It was a privacy, uh, the chief of privacy, that told me that the only role of privacy people is actually to make sure that they work around the regulation. So it's not about protecting the data or protecting privacy is to make sure that the cloud provider do what it does without being annoyed by regulation, which is right. a very different stuff than actually caring and protecting the data of the customer. You see what I mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, and then all these cloud providers, and, and you, see, you know, they, they come and because they, they pick up the, you know, the, the right skilled people, they need hire the top best performer on the market, all the right. And um, I, I personally reviewed some offer from some because I didn't want to be in that. But um, then what they do, they collect all what they call the telemetry side of things. It's either in the cloud load or in the operating system, whether you know different cloud providers have all their own systems on the market. And they take this telemetry stuff and build threat landscape analysis out to me of stolen data. <laughs> wow. They, yeah, because you know if you think about that, you have no way to opt out of the data collection. So I don't know, have you seen like Office 365? That one did jump me. There is a feature in Office 365 that allow employer, owner of the tenant to see the performance of workers using the platform giving actual values and performance indicator on how many emails they sent, how long they took to type it, how many contact and exchange they generate. And in case of Office 65, because they are on LinkedIn, they can also correlate the information between your activity on social network and your activity on work and correlate if there is an actual efficiency between what you do on, on the platform. 
And I shared about that article, which was absolutely scary. It's like huge big brother stuff. You know, knowing exactly what you do when you log in the first time in the morning, how long you spend typing on the keyboard, who, how many contacts did you connect to, how, how, how many, how long have you spent in the browser? How long have you spent in a mini Teams meeting? And, wow. And yeah, and to me, as an employee, I did not opt in for that, you know? And I think different, I mean, it, it's fine to have KPI for people, but people should be aware that this is a thing. Right. But with the cloud, it's always taking and stealing the data first. I, I call it stealing because they didn't ask for permission. And then they build nice reporting without the knowledge of the actual data target. Right, right. So here, where does the GDPR come in? GDPR, I mean. Yeah. But you see, GDPR, it's about PII, personal, personal identifiable information, right? Correct. So, telemetry and performance about your work is not a PII. So, GDPR hmm. doesn't actually protect employee from deep performance analytics right so i understand correct. i understand the, the business value for an organization knowing which employee works best you know but but at some point too much is too much <laughs> so there is a, there is a boundary uh, on that side that is crossed very often i don't know if you saw so that was about microsoft and, and microsoft to be honest as far as i know is somehow the less invasive one Wow. So, I mean, you saw the latest uh, Amazon um, smart thing. So what they did, it, it's all over the place right now. Um, they did enable a feature on all the connected stuff, like you know, Ring, Amazon Echo, and any IoT stuff they sell. Basically, um, in a couple of days, it's going to start your Wi-Fi connection, start to share your Wi-Fi connection with the neighbors. So wow. if a neighbor have a camera or any, any Amazon IoT and the connection of your home is down, it will use the neighbor one. And it's, it's interconnecting all of this without asking for consent, actually. If you want to opt out, I think people have now less than four days ahead where they have to go in advanced hidden settings to opt out from that stuff. Otherwise, and trust me, aside of security and privacy focused people, like most common people that do not work with technology, which are the main target customer of this device, will be enrolled in that connection sharing issue. And I'm telling you this is going to end bad because there is a legal and liability issue that people don't think about. You have yourself identified with an IP address by your ISP. Okay? What right. you do on the internet and your responsibility is always tied to the IP, the internet ISP subscriber. So if you have a criminal, they'll go and check child porn, okay? Horrible thing, or torture, or whatever. And this is happening from the IP of someone. Then, you know, you're gonna have a SWAT team after an investigation that go and take the owner of that connection. So what happened when IoT start to share the connection of everybody in the neighborhood with everybody else? Right. You, you see where it's gonna go? And an issue is that they claim for now that it's safe and encrypted, but we know very well that there is no security stuff that actually hold in the long term. 
so it will be hacked like the the, the apple uh, you know, digital apple token bluetooth stuff has been hacked everything that comes out is ending being hacked so my issue is that when we start to build a big networking proxy for criminals around iot abusing the iot vulnerabilities and you start to have liability hooked on people isps that may end up in jail and they will have to you know and the rules should be like you are innocent unless proven guilty <laughs> issue is with that stuff that you are guilty unless you manage to prove it wasn't you but how are people going to defend themselves if they are not even aware that their stupid IoT crap is sharing the connectivity with all the neighborhood? Right. So, for sure, it's a complex situation as well because most home routers are not patched properly and technically you could already be hacked if your home internet connection is not properly secured. But the fact that the provider at Amazon, they actually feel right to decide that they will share the connection about any anybody with everybody. I think this, this is just stunning. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, so, I yeah. think this is because they know they can actually get away with anything. Yeah, I agree. I often share that the cloud is above the lows. And fact is, how are you going to sue the cloud? Because the cloud are on the governments, they own the data on everybody. And we're not even speaking about data mining companies, they sell the intelligence and the social network as well. So they are the new world order, to be honest. And I think there are no one can put them down. No one can break them anymore. So governments are just like puppets right now. And I don't think government have power anymore in front of Okay, so place. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that you should tell us about uh, uh, the services you render and um, how people can reach you. Oh, people can can, uh, can find me on LinkedIn under Alexandre Blanc Cybersecurity. I'm always happy you know, to, to exchange on that. Although sometimes I get many many messages and I cannot timely respond to every message, but I try to. And um, yeah, and my hope when you follow me, you know, uh, my goal sharing about the cloud issue is to get decision-making people to see this shared and this issue, and where that when they end up in a position where they have to decide about the project, I, I hope that they will focus on the security side of things because they they will have been aware of everything that's going wrong right now. Right. So that's my hope, and, and I've been accused of doing fun uncertainty and doubt but you know what when it's fact-based and fact is the cloud is leaking a lot not because of, you know, because of any reason misconfiguration whatever we spoke about that um, still we have something to fix so the only way I got to get heard and to make a difference is actually to say this is bad and this is happening so the only thing I try to bring is on each post I make I try to bring a solution, you know, something that can help people, like add value to the post. What could you do to fix that stuff? Right. So hopefully people will learn a little bit from that. But there is no magical bullet. It's complex. Right. So 
now ransomware takes the news what other forms of cyber threats should people uh, be worried about well there is a sadly very not enough known identity theft issue because when your data is stolen it's very easy to steal your your identity and people don't realize that either but when your identity is stolen society is not ready to support you and that because we all have i don't know about all the world you know but usa europe um, canada we have one single uh, social security number which is making us as a human an individual in the country so when your identity is stolen and it doesn't require a lot to be honest like date of birth a picture an invoice and then I'm not going to give you a receipt, but this is easy. And uh, when this is happening and someone opens a bank account under your name, they actually apply for a loan, take the money, and never pay back. Someone is going to knock on your door for the money back. That's an right. In Montreal, well, uh, I live close to Montreal, in Quebec, uh, a lot of uh, real estate transactions are made out of fraudulent sales. So people stole the identity of someone when these people go on vacation, the threat actor will put the house of the people on sale. Wow. And because of because the market is crazy, people will want to buy very, very fast. And what happens if you stole enough data about the people you target, then you end up selling the house, which is not yours. And when people come back, the house is sold. Wow. <laughs> you know what? That, that's a reality. That, that's something that happens. So... There's, there's a strong connection between the digital footprint that we have online, especially in the cloud and social networks. All this leaked information is going to be abused. So yes, we should watch for credit monitoring. Yes, we should watch our bank account nonstop. Yes, we should make sure that there is always someone at home that watch, you know, and you friend with your neighbor. So if someone come and make it, pretend to showcase the house when you're not there, the neighbor should kick out of the house and say, hey, what are you doing here? Because, <laughs> you know what? And, and, and one of the solutions is being connected again, but as a human. Because we moved all on social media, we moved all on digital era, and we barely speak between humans. We speak a lot of podcasts and stuff, but we don't. Uh, we should be connected with real humans, so everybody should have it in the back of each other. And that's, I think, one of the solutions is to prove ourselves from technology and not being that much dependent as we are now. Right. Right. I could go on with the questions and, um, you know, the interview could run into hours, but I would like to say a big thank you for taking our time to come on the show tonight because this is around 8 p.m. in Nigeria. Hopefully in the future we'll be able to bring you back when we start the video edition because I would still like to interview you on a couple of very interesting topics around cybersecurity, uh, anatomy of a cyber attack, you know, ransomware attacks and the likes. But you know, for now, this is going to be the end of this episode. Thank you once again, Alex, for your time and for the very, very valuable insights you've shared around all the questions I've asked around cyber. You are welcome and I hope you did 